Well, let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to draw near to you. Even though it looks different than may it, how it may have previously, I'm grateful for, for this opportunity to live in a time and a place where we can be the church in this way. I pray that as we draw close to you, we would see you more clearly when we remember the provision you have given us that in our deepest time of need, you showed up for us and we can trust that you'll do it again. I pray that we see your love in this time and I pray also that we would remember your invitation for us to love others as you have loved us. And we recognize we can't do that on our own, God, so we need you in this time, in this place, to be our strength and our provision as we attempt to be the people that you have called us to be by your Spirit. And we pray this in the powerful and redemptive name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this is a strange time for all of us. Um, so much has changed for each of us in so many different ways. For me, a couple of the changes, I'm on Instagram now. It took a global pandemic for that to happen. I'm learning dance choreography that my wife, Abby, who's a dance instructor, is teaching, and she's posting that on Facebook. That is a very new thing and hilarious, and so if you want to check that out, that's online. I'm finding myself doing things I maybe wouldn't normally do. I spent an hour the other night watching a guy read Dr. Seuss books with a background beat from Dr. Dre songs. Um, I'm cleaning the house every two or three days, which I know sounds excessive, but if you think about it, the amount of time we're in the house right now based, uh, compared to how we were before, I'm actually showing a lot of restraint, I, I think, in that sense. But this is a strange time, and I realize me making light of some of the inconveniences or changes in my life might communicate the wrong thing. So let me just say, if you've been deeply impacted by COVID-19, I'm really sorry, and I wish that weren't the case, but my hope is that the church will shine for you in this season, and that we can be part of caring for you and bringing you hope in this time. But I think the question for all of us, whether we've been inconvenienced in this time or completely undone by it, is how should we live? In this strange time, how should we live? With uncertainty and confusion and anxiety and uh, seeing things not right in the world, yet also in light of God's mercy, how should we live? And the Bible has an answer to that question. It's a one-word answer. And this letter that we're looking at together, 1 John, has the same answer. Those scriptures tell us the answer to how we should live is love. I don't know about you, but I love food. In fact, growing up, I had a dream of becoming a chef. And so uh, my senior year of high school, I was either going to go to architecture school or go to the Navy, be a cook, and then open a restaurant after that. And I got into architecture school, went that way. I was an architect uh, for years before becoming a pastor. And uh, the dream of opening a restaurant is at least on hold for now. But I still love food. And that's one of the reasons I'm thankful that I married a woman who is near to perfect as anyone could possibly be in pretty much every way, including the food that she cooks. I love the food that Abby cooks. And we do this thing in the Abbott household called Global Table. It's this ambitious idea to eat a meal inspired by every country in the world. In case you're wondering, there are about 200 sovereign nations 
in the world. We're about 40 or so in, and at times this feels a little bit like when Sufjan Stevens said he was gonna write an album for every state in the United States, and he made it through Illinois and Michigan, and he was like, this is hard, I'm good, and he quit. Um, but Abbots don't quit, and so we're 40 or so in, but we're gonna finish. And so what this means is we eat different kinds of food in the Abbott household, and we don't make different meals for our kids. They eat whatever we eat, and so sometimes the meal isn't their favorite, and that's okay, and we talk about that. But oftentimes, they'll ask things like, how is this so good? They love the different kinds of food. How is this so good? And my wife will say, well, because I put the secret ingredient in it. I put love in it. My kids have started to shortcut that conversation a little bit, and when they really love something, they'll say, this is so good, Mom, I can tell you put a lot of love in it. Putting a lot of love in it, that's what makes it so good. So when in doubt, put a lot of love in it. I'm really thankful we called this series When in Doubt. I'm thankful that we are acknowledging that doubt and unknown are part of what we're all living in right now. And I'm thankful that we're walking through 1 John as we are honest about the unknown and honest about doubt because John has so much to say to us about that. It's been said and we've been walking through this letter having three tests. First, a theological test. What's the gospel and, and do you believe it? The second test is the moral test. Do my personal actions reflect that the gospel is changing me? And third, the third test, what we're looking at this week, is the social test. Do I love others because of the gospel? So to dive in, let's start with 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. If you're reading in your Bible, it's right near the end of the Bible. So it's Revelation and then working backward, there's this little letter of Jude and then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. So it's right there at the end. If you're on our webpage, there's a link that you can find the scripture there as well. Maybe you have a Bible app, you can open that up or just listen along. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They don't know where they're going because the darkness is blinding them. Okay, what's this old command, new command thing all about? Jesus was once, once asked, what sums up the teaching of, of Moses? Can you sum it up? And Jesus goes back to what we call the Old Testament. For him, it was just the scriptures because the New Testament was being written as he walked the earth. But he goes back to Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and he says, yes, here's what sums up the teaching of Moses. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the first and the greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in Matthew's version, he adds Jesus saying, uh, on these two things, love of God and love of others, hang everything in the scriptures, all the prophets, all of Moses' teaching, everything God has been trying to tell his people. Love God, love others. 
and not just with mere sentimentality, with a sacrificial love. John is saying love. It's an old command, but it still brings new things into the world. There was a spiritual song among people enslaved in the antebellum South that talked about love, that talked about the new things it brings into the world, how it can transform things, how it can redeem things, even in the midst of horrible circumstances. The words go like this. There's a balm in Gilead which makes the wounded whole. There's a balm in Gilead to heal the sin-sick soul. And then later it goes on to say, if you can't preach like Peter and you can't pray like Paul, you tell them the love of Jesus and how he died to save us all. That's the gospel. Jesus loved to the point of dying to save us all. That's what heals. That's what brings light into the world. That kind of love. In English, there's only one word for love. So I love my wife and I love food. Specifically, I love pie. But those aren't the same things. I don't love my wife and love pie in the same way. In the New Testament, Greek, there are four different words for love, each with a different sense. There is a love of familiarity, of closeness. There is romantic love. There is familial love. And then the type of love that's talked about most commonly in the New Testament, agape love. This is a love that sacrifices itself for the blessing of the other. Why does that matter, the differences between English and Greek? Well, because I can love someone or something. We can love someone or something, but not sacrificially. I don't love pie self-sacrificially. I love pie very selfishly. That's because it's pie. But left to our own devices, we tend to love really all things up to the point where we're asked to sacrifice beyond what we want to. So maybe we love our friends until they're so negative over and over again about this COVID-19 thing. Maybe we love our jobs until in this season we're asked to do more with less resources and, and less availability, and then we can't stand our work. Maybe we love our families until in this season it means we're so close to them all the time and they start to represent a hindrance or an annoyance to us, and our desire to sacrifice for them shrinks over time. That's naturally who we are. And it's not the type of sacrificial love that the scriptures call us to, and that's why the world looks the way that it does. And you might say, look, man, I don't hate anybody. I'm just minding my own business. I'm not adding any hate to the world, so I'm good. But John says that's not good enough. Avoiding hate isn't what shows that we're living in light. Adding love is. So John, in this letter, he's pleading with us, no matter your circumstances, he's saying it would be a shame to pursue less than loving God with all you've got and loving your your neighbor as yourself, loving others. That's what John calls living in darkness. And then he goes on to say in verse 15, sometimes we can love the wrong things. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires are passing away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these are selfish things. What John seems to be saying to us is we'll often try to fill the voids that doubt creates by loving the wrong things. 
So when in doubt that we are safe enough in this time, when in doubt that this craziness is ever going to end, when in doubt that God even cares about us because things aren't all right, when we're in doubt we're going to get through this, what do we run to? Well, sometimes we'll run to self-improvement. You'll see people saying, you know what, during this time, uh, it's a new season for me, I'm going to learn yoga, and I'm going to learn how to play guitar, and I'm going to start sewing blankets for puppies in shelters, and I'm going to read 75 books, and I'm going to teach my kids Latin. But look, this is a global pandemic. It's okay if you didn't get through 75 books. Some will run uh, to to self-improvement. Some will run to self-preservation. And it'll look like this. We'll, we'll run to our work. We'll say, I can put the work in. I can control that. I can uh, change my trajectory. I can become a workaholic with no commute rather than a workaholic with an hour-long commute. And that will fill me up. That will validate me. But does it? I mean, does the, the attaboy from the boss or the prospect of a new car or the endless supply of toilet paper, does that fill up our souls? Or is there always another promotion? another position to try to get yourself in, another thing to buy. And what about when the job goes away like it has for so many of us in this country? What then? Well, maybe we can uh, run to something else. Maybe we can run to a good image that people admire. I'm put together, I'm making it through this time, and I'll assume that safety and fulfillment will come in that being admired by others because my image looks right until in this season, hypothetically, of course, you're doing your first Instagram live Q&A and your youngest son can be heard distinctly singing at the top of his lungs in the shower some Imagine Dragon song, some version uh, that is completely indistinguishable and you realize in the Zoom world, your image isn't safe for long. And for others, Often when self-improvement or self-preservation don't work, some exhaustion starts to kick in, a stasis of sorts, a, a running to nothing. Because none of this is how we want it, so I'll just pursue whatever numbs me, numbs the pain, just to get through all of this. This is where patterns of sin that might previously have been held at bay because our rhythm was the way we wanted, uh, just totally uh, kind of explode in, in our lives. And we tend to accept it. The use of pornography has skyrocketed since the shutdown in liquor stores or essential businesses because we're all just trying to get by, right? And I don't say those things to single anybody out, but to point out this is a condition we all share. These three things illuminate our selfishness. And maybe seeing what we run to helps us see more clearly the things we've tried to fill up our souls with that don't actually fill up our souls. But does that cure us? Actually, no, it it doesn't. We need more than just improved perspective. Seeing our selfishness doesn't lead directly necessarily to sacrificial love because it's still easy not to love people sacrificially. It's easy not to love people we don't know to turn them into a profile picture and a political stance and they go in good and bad categories and we move on. It's easy not to love the most vulnerable in the world, to pay little attention to the reality that there are 500 million people on the verge of extreme poverty due to COVID-19. That's on top of the 738 million that already live on less than $2 a day in our world, mostly in sub-Saharan Africa. It's easy not to love people out there because I've got my own challenges right here. 
And those challenges out there are a distraction to me. And it's easy not to love the people closest to us as well, the people we're staying at home with because being together all the time sometimes has us keeping a list of all the wrongs that they're doing to us and how they've hurt us rather than taking a posture of sacrificially loving them. It's still easy not to love people sacrificially. The hip-hop artist Propaganda said in the intro to his album, Excellent, Humans, when left to their own devices, seem to be helplessly selfish. It seems that unless a power greater than us captures our hearts, nothing will change that trajectory. So when, in our doubts, we've loved the wrong things, or we've loved less than we should, and maybe we can see that clearly in this season, what does God do to capture our hearts and change our trajectory? He puts a lot of love in it. John in chapter 4 of 1 John picks up this theme of love again. He does this a lot through his letter. He'll start a theme, let you ponder on it a little bit, and then he'll come back to it. But 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. He continues, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Back in 1 John chapter 1, John says, God is light means he can only deal with us as we truly are. He exposes us as flawed. Here he says God is love, which means he can only deal with us as we truly are by loving us. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. See, if Jesus wanted us to feel shame, which leaves us stuck, maybe with some vague guilt that leads us nowhere, he would have just sent a mirror for us to look at ourselves. See, look how you failed. Just look at yourself. But he wanted us to see grace, which moves us forward, so he reminds us who we are. We are flawed, absolutely. We needed him to sacrifice for us, but we are loved, so he did. Being flawed and loved is good news for the world because that's every single one of us trying to look as though we are flawless and loved is good news for nobody, because that's none of us. So when in doubt, remember you are flawed and loved. But please, please don't let that truth lead you nowhere, because it might not lead to eternal separation from a loving God for you, but it might lead to missing the opportunity to show others the way to His love. I ran my first marathon back in the fall. It was both a great and terrible thing. And I learned some things along the way, two of the most important lessons I learned. Uh, one, don't go out too fast. It's a marathon, not a sprint. That's about endurance. That's a lesson for another day. But the other thing I learned is that if you don't fuel up along the way, you're not going to make it. If you've ever done a 5K, 10K, marathon, whatever, uh, or cheered for someone who has, you probably know there are water stations, Gatorade stations along the way. And if you skip too many of those, you'll run out of fuel. 
And to sustain the toll that the race is going to put on you, you have to stay fueled up. You have to uh, go to those fueling stations and, and stay fueled up or you'll run out of energy. You can't make it through a marathon on what you started with. You got to fuel up along the way. The command for us is love God and love others sacrificially. But please don't try to do that on your own or you'll run out of fuel. We shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking we can get there alone. In part because the world will tell us not to. The world will say, run a different race altogether. Self-improvement, self-preservation, numb out just to get through. Those are the better ways. That's why John says, don't love the world. It's only in staying connected to Jesus, staying close to Him, not running away when we fail or pursuing less, but leaning into His love where we'll have what we need where we'll have the energy we need to sustain the love that sacrifices itself for the sake of others. We're being asked to do something supernatural, and if we're being asked to do something supernatural, we shouldn't expect that we can do it on our own. See, love like this, like we're called to, like we're created for, it doesn't start with us, it isn't sustained by us over time. It starts with and is sustained by Jesus. And there have been a lot of people in my life who have shown me that, but two that maybe did it as well as anybody were my grandparents. They showed me Jesus long before I was interested, and I'm so thankful for that. And they did it, I believe, because they remembered that they were loved by Jesus, and that fueled them to live lives of sacrifice and and love that I still look up to to this day. My grandmother was a nurse. And then when she retired, she and my grandfather began to volunteer with Red Cross. They did that for over 30 years together. Eventually, Red Cross created a volunteer award for outstanding volunteer that they give out every year, and they named it in my grandparents' honor. I'm so thankful for their example. My grandfather passed away about 15 years ago, but my grandmother still lives in the house uh, that uh, they've lived in for as long as I can remember. And I love going to that house. It's like going to a museum. They traveled a lot, and so they have a room in their house that they display all these mementos that they found along the way. And the place in that room that I love the most is, is a couple of walls that are just covered with jars of shells. Uh, they traveled to the beach a lot. I grew up in Indiana, I didn't go to the beach a lot, and so those shells were always fascinating to me. And when I was a kid, I would go right to this room to this huge jar that was full of sand dollars that they collected along the beach. And they'd let me gently pour it out because they're fragile, pour it out on the floor. And my grandmother, as I would look at them and and rub my hand over them and and touch them, uh, would tell me this story. She said, there was once a little boy who was walking along the beach early in the morning, and as the sun was rising, he recognized that there were dozens, maybe hundreds of sand dollars in front of him that had washed up on the beach and now were stranded because the tide was going out. And so he runs over and he picks one up and he feels that it's still still wet. And he says, I think, I think it might still be alive. And so if I get it back to the water, it could live. And so he throws it back into the water and then he picks up another one and he throws it back into the water. And he does this over and over again until his arm starts to get sore. An adult comes by and says, kid, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm throwing these sand dollars back into the ocean so they can live. He says, look around. There's too many. You can't throw them all back. And the kid, the child with a sand dollar in his hand, he, he responds to the adult, but he's looking at the single sand dollar in his hand. 
He says, but I can care about this one. And he throws that sand dollar back into the ocean as hard as he's ever thrown anything in his life. And then my grandmother would conclude the story this way. She would look at me and say something that she and my grandfather Leo would say to me often. If you can care about the need around you, do it. Don't stand and look at the world and say, I'm not enough. God so loved us. We ought to love one another with whatever we have, for as long as we have, for as many people as we can. We shouldn't wait to be loved and then respond. That's what psychologists call the law of reciprocal affection. It's a defensive state of living, and it doesn't add enough love to the world. See, God didn't wait for me to ask. He saw that I was flawed, and he loved me. He didn't say, get it all together and then I'll love you. He said, you're flawed and you're loved and I will sacrifice to love you. And God didn't withhold his love because I didn't get everything right. And he didn't withhold his love because I didn't understand everything. And we're called to do the same. See, here's the point. If we are uh, wanting to sustain love like we're actually called to, It's in staying connected to and being fueled up by the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus and having that echo through our lives, how we can actually do that. That's how we know that God's love is being cultivated in us. In response to COVID-19, there are people at Summit that are making masks and they're donating them to healthcare professionals. There are people that are hosting distance appropriate, Simon says, for kids in their neighborhood. There are people in our congregation that are reading children's books online uh, daily so that families can, can just have a moment to smile. There are connect groups that are gathering up gift cards to give to people in need. You know what that is? That's people in our congregation saying, I can care about this one. Because God loved you love other people. Because God has been extravagant with you, be extravagant with other people because God has provided help other people. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, we have to rediscover the power of love, the redemptive power of love. And when we do, we will make this old world into a new one. See, God put love into the world through Jesus. And Jesus wants to put love into the world through you and me. And if you are hearing this and you're like, I haven't really done that. I have kind of been selfish. I have fallen short when I've tried. Man, Jesus' love restores. Jump back in. And I want to invite you to do that in a really practical way this week. We're going to do a very different but very important nice serve this week. And there are projects uh, on our website that are ways where we can impact others with love. There are ways to to make masks. There are ways to make deliveries to vulnerable people. There are uh, suggestions for how to do uh, sidewalk chalk encouragement for your neighbors with your family. There are uh, creating uh, signs for high school students to separate them. There are seniors that have been disrupted so uh, intensely in this season. There are so many ways that we can be a part of this nice serve this week and there are ways for you to be a part of it. And hopefully we'll post on social media how we're doing this, not for our glory, but to show the collective impact that love can have. But let me end with this, guys, we have to own this. Are we showing that God is not love 
because we're not loving? Or are we showing that God is love because we're loving others? Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, Christians should shock the world far more than we do now. So when in doubt, put love in it. In the broken marriage, put love in it. With a difficult child, put love in it. In your workplace, put love in it. When you see hate on social media, put love in it. In your community, in need, put love in it. And when you have doubts about what's going on in the world because of this pandemic, put love in it. When the world is far too dark and it screams at you self-preservation, put love in it.